Good morning. This morning we continue our series, Broken Hope in Job's Suffering and in Ours. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Job, chapter 38. The book of Job, chapter 38. We're going to read verse 1 through verse 3. Let's stand together in honor of the reading of the Word of God from Job, chapter 38, verse 1. And now, finally, God answered Job from the eye of a violent storm. He said, why do you confuse the issue? Why do you talk without knowing what you're talking about? Pull yourself together, Job. Up on your feet, stand tall. I have some questions for you. And I want some straight answers. Father, I pray that you would again use this mysterious book to help us move through the mysterious place of suffering in this world that you created and that we experience. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. At some point, I've, I've heard the life of suffering and, and suffering in this life compared to the kid's story, The Wizard of Oz. The main characters in Oz all suffer want from something. Dorothy is separated from her family by a storm. The scarecrow is missing a brain. The tin man is missing a heart. And the lion suffers a lack of courage. Each character is convinced that the powerful and mysterious wizard is going to give them what they long for. Dorothy and her friends get a rude surprise. Just when the wizard is, in their mind, going to give them everything they need, Dorothy's little dog, Toto, trips over a screen and reveals the wizard's true identity. He isn't a wizard at all. It's just an ordinary man who, who put on a false front. He really can't end any of the suffering that's going on in the story, The Wizard of Oz. 21st century skeptics would paint the God of the Bible that way. They suggest that suffering in the world pulls back the veil to reveal that God is a sham because a God who can't or won't stop the suffering is either evil or a fraud, like the wizard. But in the book of Job, when God finally does speak, Job and his friends do get a surprise, only it's the opposite surprise as Dorothy and her friends in the, book of, in the story of Oz. To understand the surprise, we need to remember what's gone on to bring us to chapter 38. At first, Job's life is perfect, virtually anyway. He was righteous and he was blameless. He, he lived right before God and before people. That seemed to work out for him. He was wealthy in herds and flocks and possessions. He had a large and, and wealthy family. He had his health. Life was virtually perfect. And then one day, it wasn't. Through a series of disasters, he lost all of his livestock. His ten children died in one moment when the house they were all in together collapsed. Job, in the next scene, lost his health to a skin disease that infected him with oozing sores from the sole of his, head to the, from the sole of his feet to the crown of his head. He tore his clothes. He shaved his head. 
He sat in an ash heap and he worshiped God. Job's wife said he should curse God and die, and Job said, that's foolish talk. When word of Job's trials got around, three of Job's friends met together and decided to go and comfort him. After they sat in silence for about seven days, Job erupted in a haunting, painful poem. He cursed the night his parents conceived him. He cursed the day he was born. He cursed the fact that he still lived in the midst of all of his misery. When Job got raw about why God would do this to him, his friends pivoted from comforting him to confronting him. For about 30 chapters, Job and his friends argued about God's role in Job's sufferings. At one point, they got tired of the argument, and one of them spoke up and said, Oh, how I wish God himself would speak to you. Job agreed. In chapter 13, Job stopped talking to his friends and addressed God. From that point on, Job wants God to meet face-to-face with him in some cosmic courtroom of some kind where he can question God and God has to answer for himself. Everyone in the story wants God to show up and start speaking for himself. Job's wants it. Job's friends want it. In fact, when 21st century readers like us read through this story, we want God to tell Job what's behind all the suffering. I think we want God to speak to Job for two reasons. For one thing, some of us identify with Job's friends. We want to know why those close to us are suffering. We want to know why our friends or our family are going through the crisis of cancer or the dungeon of depression. When someone we know is suffering, we find ourselves wishing God would speak to them and bring some kind of meaning to all this pain. The second reason we want God to, to tell Job what's behind the suffering is much more personal than that. Let's be honest. This is our seventh Sunday in the book of Job, and many of us sitting here, we haven't, we haven't yet got what we're looking for. We haven't yet heard what we wanted to hear. You see, after seven Sundays, I can almost hear the thoughts in this room God, would you please tell me why I'm losing so much time to all this doctoring and all these these trips in and out of facilities? God, would you please tell me why I have to deal with a constant physical pain that just haunts me day in, day out? God, would you please tell me why I, I can't seem to control my mood and my emotions when everyone else around me seems to handle those things just fine? Like Job. We're longing for God to show up and answer our questions. To anyone with that kind of longing, Job's story brings some great news and some bad news. Here's the good news. The good news is, in the middle of the suffering, God does show up. The bad news is, God doesn't answer Job's questions. And automatically that brings up another question. Why not? At the risk of being redundant, God doesn't answer that question either. But I do think Job's story gives us some clues. 
I mentioned last week that the longer Job suffered, the more he focused on his own innocence. Well, there's one that's even more obvious than that, actually. As Job suffered, he focused intently on his pain. And just how bad the suffering really was, in Job chapter 6, verse 1, it says, If my misery could be weighed, if I could pile the whole bitter load on the scales, it would be heavier than all the sand of the sea. Obviously, Job's pain is a pretty big thing for him. Several years ago, I broke my thumb while playing basketball. I broke it straight down the bone from one joint to the other. And then, like now, I was a pastor. I needed to write sermons, but then I was also a graduate student. I, wanted to write, I needed to write papers. I had lots of deadlines. For about, oh, four, five, six weeks, my thumb felt like it was about four feet long and weighed about five and a half to six pounds. When something's in pain, it becomes the focus of absolutely everything. Throughout the book, the pain becomes the only thing that Job can focus on, and Job is pretty sure that, that his pain is all anyone else can focus on, too. In Job chapter 12, verse 4, he says this, I am a laughingstock to my friends. I who called upon God, and he answered me, <clears throat> just and blameless man that I am, I am a laughingstock. You see, when you're, when you're suffering, it can, it can become pretty easy to to assume that everyone around you is either looking at you with disdain or triumph or pity. Suffering makes us think all eyes are on our pain and on us. And the truth is, if you're really suffering, it can, it can make you think that everyone's out to get us. And, and I mean Everyone. In Job chapter 7, verse 20, Job says these words to God, Why have you made me your target? Job is convinced that God has trained all of his attention on Job for Job's hurt. Job and Job alone in Job's mind is the center of all God's fury. Of course, Job doesn't want that. But in his pain... Job also seems to need to be the center of something else. In Job 21.5, he tells his friends, Look at me and be appalled. Lay your hand on your mouth. Many of you will remember the days before we had air casts and, and those orthopedic boots. You remember back in the day when, when we didn't have those things, and if you broke an arm or a leg, you got something, well, you got something that became your closest friend. You got this plaster cast that you could never take off. And, and nobody wanted a broken bone because broken bones hurt and nobody wanted a plaster cast because those things itched and you couldn't take them off and they were awful and they were terrible, but they also were a great big giant white billboard. And when you went to school, everybody gathered around you and they got out the, the markers and they began to write encouraging messages and sign your cast. And, and when you walked in the room, the cast meant you were the center of attention. Like a bruised and aching thumb or a large white body cast, Job's suffering consumes his attention and the attention of his closest friends when suffering comes, the suffering takes center stage. 
And sometimes the sufferer takes center stage, too. It's like the more pain we endure, the more central our, our pain is to our existence. The bigger our pain and suffering becomes, the smaller the world around us seems. If I'm really hurting, I can, I can assign value to the people around me based on how they respond and relate to my suffering and my pain. I might even define God based on how He responds to my pain. Let me put it this way. A dehydrated man, to a dehydrated man, a, a rainstorm that replenishes an entire county simply only exists to give him a drink. To a suffering believer, when pain becomes overwhelming, it's almost like God exists to ease my pain. And if God isn't easing my pain, or if God isn't at least explaining why He isn't easing my pain, then a question bubbles up inside of me. What good is God anyway? You see, if we're not careful, our pain has a way of making us the center of our own universe and fooling us into believing that God exists for us. For 37 chapters, Job's pain took center stage over and over and over again. Job asked God to show up and answer his questions. And the good news is God did show up. Bad news is God didn't answer Job's questions. Instead, God comes in a whirlwind. And he asked Job a series of questions. Today, I, I just want to read you some of those questions from the message translation of the Bible. I think these questions that God asks actually give us much more. They're actually much more valuable than any answers that he would give us. In chapter 38, verse 3, God said to Job, Where were you when I created the earth? Tell me, Job, since you know so much. Who decided on its size? Certainly you know that. Who came up with the blueprints and the measurements? How was its foundations poured and who set the cornerstone? While the morning stars sang in the chorus and all the angels shouted praise. And who took charge of the ocean when it gushed forth like a baby from the womb? That was me, Job. I wrapped it, the ocean, in soft clouds and, and tucked it in safely at night. And then I made a playpen for the ocean, a, a strong playpen, so that it couldn't run loose. I said, stay here, this is your place. Your wild tantrums are confined to this space. And have you ever ordered the morning? Get up told dawn get to work so you could seize the earth like a blanket and shake out the wicked like cockroaches have you ever gotten to the bottom of things job and explored the labyrinth caves of the deep ocean 
Do you know the first thing about death? Do you have one clue regarding death's dark mysteries? And do you have any idea how large the earth is? Speak up if you have even the beginning of an answer. Do you know where light comes from and where darkness lives? So you can take them by the hand and lead them home when they get lost? Have you ever traveled to where the snow is made? Have you seen the vault where hail is stockpiled? The arsenals of hail and snow? Can you find your way to where the lightning is launched or the place from which the wind blows? Who do you suppose carves the caverns or the canyons for the downpours of rain and charts the route of the thunderstorms? And who do you think is the father of rain and dew and the mother of, of ice and frost? Do you for, imagine, for a minute imagine that these marvels of weather just happened? Do you? Can you catch the eye of the beautiful Pleiades sisters or distract Orion from his hunt? Can you get Venus to look your way or get the great, the great bear and her cubs to come out and play? Do you know the first thing about the sky's constellations or how they affect the earth? Can you get the attention of the clouds and commission a shower of rain? Can you take charge of the lightning bolts and have them report to you for orders? Who do you think gave weather wisdom to the ibis and storm savvy to the rooster? Does anyone know enough to number all the clouds or tip over the rain barrels of heaven when the earth is cracked and dry, the ground baked hard as a brick? Can you teach the lioness to stalk her prey and satisfy the appetite of her cubs? And who sets out food for the ravens when their young cry to God, fluttering about because they have no food? Do you know the month when the mountain goats give birth? Have you ever watched a doe bear her fawn? Do you know how many months she's pregnant? Do you know the season of her delivery? Who do you think set the wild donkey free and opened the corral gates and let him go? Will the wild buffalo serve you? Volunteer to spend the night in your barn? Can you imagine hitching your plow to a buffalo and getting him to till your fields? Are you the one who gave the horse its prowess and adorned him with a shimmering mane? Do you create him to prance proudly and strike terror with his royal snorts? Was it through your know-how that the hawk learned to fly, soaring effortlessly? Do you command the eagle's flight and teach her to build her nest in the heights? God then confronted Drobe directly. Now what do you have to say for yourself? Are you going to haul me, the mighty one, into court and press charges? Job answered, I'm speechless, in awe. Words fail me. I should never have opened my mouth. I've talked too much, way too much. I'm ready to shut up and listen. God, ad God addressed Job next from the eye of the storm. 
And this is what he said. I have some more questions for you. And Job, I want some straight answers. Do you presume to tell me that what I'm doing is wrong? Are you calling me a sinner, Job, so that you can be a saint? Do you have an arm like my arm? Can you shout in thunder the way I can? Go ahead. Show your stuff, Job. Let me see what you're made of, what you can do. Unleash your outrage, Job. God goes on to dare Job to try to discipline the wicked. He goes on to dare Job to try to make a pet out of a hippopotamus or a dinosaur. He also dares him to try to pull either a crocodile or some dragon-like sea creature out of the water with a fish hook. In chapter 42, when God's done with his questioning, Job answered God, I am convinced you can do anything and everything. Nothing and no one can upset your plans, I admit. I was the one. I babbled on about things beyond me, made small talk about wonders way over my head. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'll never do that again. I promise. Why doesn't Job, or excuse me, why doesn't God answer Job's questions? Why doesn't God give you answers? Why doesn't God give me answers? It's because God doesn't have to. Our modern minds want God to make sense to us. But God is free. He doesn't have to make sense to us. Come to think of it, if my simple mind could figure God out... He probably wouldn't be capable of running this complex world. God doesn't give us answers, but God gives us something more valuable than answers. God gives us perspective. He is God, the creator and sustainer of the whole world. He made it all. He holds it all together. Yes, God is for us, but that's because he chooses to be. God does not exist for us and for our comfort. We exist for God and for God's glory. And when this broken world causes us to suffer, if we suffer well, then God gets glory in that. You see, to suffer well means to refuse the temptation to let our pain become the center of who we are. But even more than that, to suffer well as a believer, it, it means to refuse to allow the pain to make me the center of my own life. To suffer well is to keep God at the center, even in the midst of the greatest pain we could ever imagine. We have that example in Jesus, who suffered to the utmost and continued in obedient praise of the God of all glory. And when we follow that example, we suffer well. Toby Mack is a solo artist and the former frontman for the Christian music group DC Talk. He's been one of the most widely known Christian artists for the past 30 years. 
He's famous, he's successful, he's wealthy, and he's a generous man. He has a large family with lots of children. This fall, Toby committed to a concert tour in Canada. Even though he's been performing for decades and, and most music careers are much shorter than that, if, if he'd gone there and, and performed those concerts, he'd have sung to sold-out crowds all across that country. The night before the first fall, first fall concert date, Toby's 21-year-old son, Truett, performed a solo music show in their hometown of Nashville. After the show, they exchanged text messages. Toby gave encouragement, talked about how proud he was of Truett. Truett thanked his dad for all the support for all those years. They both turned in the next morning, early in the morning. Toby got on a plane and flew to Canada. Most people would say that Toby Mac's life was virtually perfect, and then it wasn't. He never performed that night. He canceled the tour because Truett, his beloved oldest son, died suddenly. I'm sure Toby and his family have asked a whole lot of questions, and you and I both know they haven't got all the answers that they've wanted. And I'm also sure that Toby's fame must create a great temptation to become self-centered in his pain. But listen to the statement that he put out less than 48 hours after Truett's death. My wife and I want the world to know this. We don't follow God because we have sort of some sort of under-the-table deal with him, like, we'll follow you if you bless us. We follow God because we love him. It's our honor. He's the God of the hills and the valleys. And he's beautiful above all things. I think God may not be answering all of our questions, but I think he has some questions for us today. I think God may be saying, are you or someone you know in the throes of suffering today? Has it become clear to you that you're not going to be getting the answers that you want? Is this the moment when you're ready to stop asking for answers and start asking God for the perspective that will help you learn to suffer well? I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. I want us to just be before the God who created everything, the God who has created all that you see and sustains it and holds it all together. I want to encourage you to set aside the questions for a moment, the whys and the, the how could this have possibly happened, and I, I, want to, I want to encourage you to ask God to give you perspective. As we sit here before the Lord this morning, I, I want to read for us. The words of a song. It goes like this. Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name? care to feel my hurt who am i that the bright and morning star would choose to light 
the way for my ever-wandering heart. It's not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. It's not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. I am a flower quickly fading, here today and gone tomorrow, a wave tossed in the ocean, a vapor in the wind. Still you hear me when I'm calling. Lord, you catch me when I'm falling. And you've told me who I am. I am yours. Who am I that the eyes that see my sin would look on me with love and watch me rise again? Who am I that the voice that calms the sea would call out through the rain and calm the storm in me? Not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. I am a flower quickly fading, here today and gone tomorrow, a wave tossed in the ocean, a vapor in the wind. Still you hear me when I'm calling. Lord, you catch me when I'm falling. And you've told me who I am. I am yours. Not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. With your head's bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to give you an opportunity to be before this God who created it all. Set the questions aside. Allow God to give you the perspective of who He is and what He has done. And instead of trying to to force God and squeeze God down into, into what's right before me, whether it's my pain or whatever's going on, allow yourself to find your place In the great world God has created to play your part in the great story He is writing. To praise God in the great moments and like Jesus and Job, to suffer well in the hard moments.
God, we sit in awe in the presence of the one who created it all. You are the one who sustains it all. You are the one who gives us the very breath of life. And so we sit grateful for all of that, no matter what happens right now, and no matter what happens in the future. You are worthy of our praise. You are truly beautiful. You are glorious. You are awesome. It is our honor to praise you no matter what we go through. God, we set aside our need for all the answers and we ask you, pull back the veil and show us what you're like. Father, may what happens to us never become the center of us. And may what happens to us never allow us to make ourselves the center of our whole world. But Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit you would have us so focused on who you are. that our suffering simply becomes a mirror through which we reflect the glory of God to the world around us. Oh, we don't long for suffering, but when suffering comes our way, we ask you to help us to suffer like Jesus so that the world can see your glory. It's in the blessed and the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. If our ushers would come at this time, we would give to the God who has created everything and who has given us everything that we have.